I'm Richard Lannan, Roger Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nozzle. The Nozzle team captures photos, videos and drone footage from locations across the UK to create content for your social media and case studies for your website. To find out more about Nozzle's pay-as-you-go and monthly packages, visit nozzle.media. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Mark Handley from Building Our Skills. In this episode, Mark talks us through his fenestration journey, all the way from how it started to the position he's in today. So, Without further ado, let's get started. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me in. How did you get into the fenestration world? Uh, well, it started when I was 11. Right. Um, my dad and his cousin had a, a factory. So obviously interested where my dad was going, went on a weekend, started at 11 years old, earning my pocket money, gasketing windows in Gasket 1988. Right. So I'm 45 and I've been in the industry way too long. It's 34 years. So yeah, I've been a long that, time. That's right. And then how long were you sort of doing that? Was that holidays and... School holidays, uh, work experience, weekends, everything like that. 13 years old, I was hanging tilt and turns and French doors. And, 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 you know, for a good four or five years and decided when I left school, I hate windows. I don't want to be part of the industry. Wanted to get away from it. And I thought the best thing to do would be take an IT apprenticeship, an MVQ. So got on there, had four months learning IT skills, and the first placement was processing windows and doors. So <laughs> inevitable where it's going to be. Come to the end of that, and there was no job at the end of the apprenticeship. It was just, you know, back on the pile, you know, to, to go and find work. So I ended up back working for my dad and his cousin at 17 years old. From there on, I worked there for, I think, I think four years back there. And I was making conservatory roofs out of window profile on the factory floor and doing all the specials and the other bits like that. You know, they teach you trigonometry at school and you're never going to use it. I used it every day. And, and from, from then on, there was a, an opportunity to work at SASH UK. Right. Fabricating the um, ultra frame roof, so I went for my interview, and the the guy Colin that interviewed me looked at my CV and saw the IT skills that I'd got. I said, "Oh, would you fancy going in the office?" I thought it's a bit daunting, but I'll give it a go. And he said, "If it doesn't work out, I'll put you back in the factory." So you know, quite lucky in that that I did go down the route of initially learning some IT skills. Yeah. Um. And it's one thing I'm doing now, you know, MVQs and apprenticeships is obviously what I'm working towards now, I'm trying to get the younger generation in. So I've got a, a little bit of a story when I'm doing that and an understanding for, for the students I speak with. Fantastic. Um, from there on, 
I ended up working. My dad then separated, and they started making conservatory roofs. They were doing the Eurocell roof. So I then went to work for my dad, and that progressed, and we decided we were losing so many customers to the Sinsil Global Roof because of the price difference. Right. So we made a conscious decision that we'd do both roofs, but Eurocell and Sinsil didn't want to run out of the same factory. Mm. So I was given the opportunity to have my own business and and fabricate the Sinsil roof, which I did for almost two years. Recession come and things like that, you know, times got hard. Uh, I ended up helping my dad out as well, so we, we were sort of working together, supporting each other. And I went to Windestyle, Safe Styles Manufacturing now. And I had a conversation there, quite a heated conversation, because they wanted to limit the turnaround from, from five days to three days, and if it was late, there were going to be penalty clauses. And I just said, no, that's not going to happen. If if if, if you think it works like that, you need to find another company uh, to supply you. And we walked away. And within 24 hours, I was back there for an interview, and they offered me a shift manager's job fabricating their roofs. <laughs> which made it you know, a great decision to sell my business. They bought the machines and the order book off me, so it was a no-brainer, really. Uh, stable job. My son had just been born. So, you know, new, new baby, new mortgage, everything like that. It just felt it was right to do. From then on, Dempsey Dyer. Oh, right. Uh, I was at Dempsey Dyer, absolutely fantastic place to work. I've always had an interest in timber, uh, but I was out there selling. I went for a production manager's job, and they turned me down and said, "We, you know, we're too small. You've got more ambition than than what we've got, sort of thing." And then two days later, they offered me a job as a sales manager, which was more money, and, and you know, again, the knowledge. It was great, a great opportunity. I then left there after four years and was at Distinction. Right. Uh, worked my way up, uh, looking after the technical team there at Distinction. Again, an absolutely fantastic company to work for. And Consort were a customer. I worked with Jeff Dunn. Um, we know Jeff. Who was a, yeah, everybody knows Jeff. <laughs> Everyone knows Jeff. Uh, he was a sales manager at the time. And, and when Stuart Buchanan left, Jeff progressed into the sales director role and, and we had a conversation, uh, had an interview. And luckily, again, the opportunity was there. So the hardest decision work-wise was to to leave Distinction and, and, and it was a bit of a scary time. I've never put me noticing like that before to a company that I felt so I got a good connection with, you know, really, really, really good working relationship. Um, but obviously that, that happened. After 18 months at Consort, Jeff decided he wanted to move on to better things for himself, you know, bigger, better things and became the the group sales and marketing director of, of Glazerite. The opportunity again was there to apply for a sales director's job. In my opinion, if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm. And again, lucky. Um, I, I got the role, I took that opportunity and did well there for five years. And then later this year, a change in direction. I'm now building our skills, encouraging the younger generation, the students to be part of our industry. You know, we all know there's a, a skill shortage. There's a huge gap Definitely. in skills, a huge shortage of labour. So I'm enjoying the challenge now of getting people into the industry. Wow. That's quite a journey. And that's it's a, a long journey. That is a lot of experience, though, because you've seen things that a lot of people haven't. Oh, yeah. Right back from... So you've even beaten me because 
I started in my dad's factory around 14 and you were younger. Yeah. But let me ask you this. How much did he pay you an hour? When I first started, I was on £26.50 a week as a YTS scheme at 16, 17 years old. Yeah, that's... I suppose it's fair for the time. And then, you know, the last job I was way more than that an hour, never mind a a week, you know. Um, But, yeah, the experience, I've been outfitting, so I I can do the whole... I can go out and survey the job, I can go and process it, fabricate it and fit it. Full package. Yeah. And gasket, I always talk about this, gasket Gas thumbs. thumbs. You go back at the end of the day, you've got glue yeah. stuck to a... Yeah. And it's... Uh, people don't, fingers. Yeah. And even the glue remover, just to clean yeah. your hands up to go home. Yeah. All the stuff you shouldn't do. Don't do this if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, but no. Don't do that now. And uh, and very similar to me, it was strange that you mentioned the IT, because I, uh, I worked for my dad in factories and holidays, yeah. went off to do something different because my mum said I should go and try and do something different. So I did an IT apprenticeship yeah. and I, I made it a year through and then it collapsed. My boss had made redundant so that the, the apprentice, I got stuck in a job Yeah, uh, and then I went to work for my dad again, but full time then. And that's how it sort of, yeah. fenestration grabs you, doesn't it? It does. You know, like I said, when I, when I first left school, I hated it because all I'd done for five years was gasket and, and lift everything as about and I didn't want to do that. I wanted, you know, something that paid good money. And I thought IT was the way to go because obviously back in 1993 when I left school, you know, it was just IT was sort of the up and coming yeah. um, roles to, to take, weren't it? But what an absolutely fantastic industry it's been. It's really looked after me. You know, it's treated me well. I've had some fantastic jobs. And and what I've done, every, every company, Dempsey Dyer, Distinction, you know, Consort, there was training courses or, you know, to get gain qualifications in the roles that I were doing, and them qualifications have helped better me and give me when the opportunities come. I think because I took the time to learn and to get the, the relevant qualifications, it's made it a no-brainer that the opportunity was the right way to go, and it's, it's given me that chance of the job. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a fantastic industry. But I'm I'm so I'm in a position now, giving something back. Uh, going into speaking to schools and in, in students and, and the feedback from the teachers, you know, kids are engaging. They enjoy me putting my story across. Um, that The battle with what we've got is the kids will go home raving, yes, I want to work in fenestration. And they'll say, mum and dad will say, what's that? Well, windows and doors. You're not doing that. So obviously my, my battle is to get out there what fenestration is and that kids should embrace it. It is a good industry to be in. Yeah. No, 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 definitely. I'm, I'm with you on that. But it's, I'm also intrigued about your journey, the way that, how did you find moving from, say, even your dad's business, going into a company that you were an employee at? How did you find it that? It was quite daunting moving across because I was going from a factory floor environment that I knew really well. But I dropped on quite lucky because I went to school with a lad. Uh, it was in my year at school. The first day I rocked up at my IT course, he was there. So from then on, for the next 18 months, we sort of walked, every every day we walked into, into town together and on that course. When I went to Sash, he was in the office at Sash. <laughs> um, I left to to move into my dad's business from Sash to, to go and work back with my dad from a, from a different angle. And within two weeks, Darren was at Euracell, providing the, the roof components, working in the office there. And I missed a bit out as well. I had 
two years at Conservatory Outlet. Did you? When I went for my interview at Conservatory Outlet, it was Darren doing the interview. He was the office manager there. So, okay. you know, we, so I, I guess, you know, as daunting as it is going from the comfort of working for a family <clears throat> business, Darren was there both times, you know, in, in the office, you know, a recognisable face, somebody, you know, which, which I guess takes a bit of that yeah, pressure away. Yeah. Um, but... I've got a good knowledge of the industry. I know I know what I'm doing. I've got a good understanding of it. So I've always been comfortable in the job. It's just making sure that the people I'm working for see that I, I know my stuff and I know what I'm doing. Uh, definitely, yeah. For everything you've just said, there isn't anything you don't know. No. Um, which is brilliant in your position. It, it, it's absolutely fantastic for what I'm doing because, you know, speaking to, to kids in, in, in Barnsley and Sheffield at the moment and... I put an, an initiative of a five-step plan. So I go and speak in schools and, and relate to something local and then bring them here so they can see the training centre downstairs, which I'll, yeah, I'll show you that before you leave. Um, and then go and speak to them again in school and see who was interested in that. Uh, and then what I am doing is working with local companies that are willing to take the kids in and show them different facilities, different roles. You know, like I said there's over 50 roles. I can speak from it from my experience, but I'm building a a group of supporters, which you'll have seen on, on social media. And that, that supporter is a company that's willing to let me take students in that will be involved in the inspiration days and hopefully help us get the younger generation into what's an ageing an aging workforce. And I think, well, your proof as well that, you know, they won't get bored. If they do want to stay in fenestration, you can move around quite nicely. Yeah. But with all those, with those moves, with the, was moving to Sash the most daunting? Or was it the leap of faith when you decided I think to... the most daunting thing was leaving Distinction to go to Consort. Because I'd done sales at Dempsey Dyer and, and really enjoyed it. But it was hard, sales was hard work. And I've always been a sort of hands-on person. I enjoyed the factory side of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I've enjoyed the fitting side of it. Um, you know, I've enjoyed old school joinery and, and doing things like that. Uh, but distinction, I grew there quite well and I got a great relationship with with my direct technical manager and the technical director, but all the other directors as well. You know, it were like that was like a, a big family. I've never been upset at work, but putting me noticing and leaving was the hardest thing I had to do leaving there. But then I went to consort and the first day, I've been to consort many times. Like I said, there was a, they were a customer of, of distinction. But I was taken around there by the operations director that had been with the company 22 years, I think, by the, when, I, when I joined. And his passion for his factory made me realise that I'd made the right decision in, in moving um, to consort. And again, another great company to work for. Um, a lot to learn in sales because things had changed from, the, you know, from eight years previous to that. Um, but again, another interesting journey and a lot, a lot to learn along the way. With sales, though, especially having the experience, did you find it, because a lot of it, because you have the knowledge, it does make it easier, doesn't it? It, it becomes more time management and making sure you're talking to everyone it, and communication. It, it is. It, communication's key. And what I thought, you know, from the sales aspect, I slowed down. Instead of going and seeing three or four customers a day, I'd, go and, I'd make one firm appointment and go and have a, a meeting of substance of value and then look who else was in there. No, I'm in the area. Are you free for me to call in? You know, or, you know, make that connection. But I, 
it was a knowledge and the experience that I used to sell. I sold me, not not consort. I sold me and the confidence that I got in myself in the product. You know, it was a great product. It, it, it was a confidence in the product in myself. You know, you, you don't sell the company, the product. You sell you to to people. You know, and how comfortable in, in my knowledge and my experience. Um, I know what we're talking about. And again, I always talked with confidence. It was never price related. You know, sales role shouldn't be on price. They should be buying for a reason that they want to buy, not because it's a cheap product. And consort, you know, it's not a cheap product. It's a good product, uh, as Vika's products are. You know, Vika's not a cheap system. And again, having, having you know, a couple of visits to Vika itself, an absolutely fantastic facility. Yeah. And the places, you know, visiting places like that helps you give the confidence in the products you're selling. So you've also, as part of that journey, which not everyone has... The running of your own business. Yes. How does that compare to everything? Because it was sort of, it's necessary experience, isn't it? But did you find it, I think with most people in business, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but there are definitely ups and downs. Uh, there's more downs than ups, unless you put the time into it. And it, it, having your own business isn't a nine to five job. It's a 24 hours, seven days a week. 100%. And then you've got, other people, it's not just your family relying on you, you've got other people's families relying yeah. on you, so you have to do it right. And I think I was lucky enough to do it right. It was just the, the timing was wrong because of, you know, the recession and things like that, and, and the industry took a bit of a hit. Uh, not not just the annual uh, peaks and troughs around holidays and, and Christmas. But I think, again, because of my confidence and how I came across when I spoke to the managing director at trade style and just said you know you're not the right company for us if that's how you're going to behave yeah i got back to my dad's factory and he says they've been on the phone they want to speak to you and i was like oh no what have i done <laughs> what have i said wrong i mean i said oh, he's asked who you are i says oh why he wants to offer you a job so it, you know it, it, again a great opportunity and, and i think you know this industry is about opportunities it's a great industry but you've got to work hard yeah you have got to put the time in um, but back to having my own business, I think that gave me the the good standing going forward, especially in sales. You treat it as though it's your money mm. and look after it. You know, you, it, it gives you a better, underst a better understanding of how the how somebody else's business is run and how it needs to be looked after. And if you treat it as though it's your own and make the decisions, you know, how would, how would I feel if that's going to affect me financially? You know, and make the, them kind of decisions on a personal level, then you're always going to succeed. And I, I think I did well. Yeah. Well, without, without sounding and blowing me on trumpet, I think I did all right. So I'm quite pleased with that. But he's also, I'm also thinking about your, your your dad, because he was quite supportive all through this then. Because yeah. there, there must have been opportunities where he thought, ah, it'd be really good if you just stayed, because I've got to find someone else. But he let you go. He, he let me go because the next role I could have had when I was working for him was was basically his job. Right. And he wasn't ready to give up. Um, I mean, he did retire at 60. Oh, nice. And then three months later, he was working at, my dad was actually at Dempsey Dyer processing timber windows. So he'd gone back from having his own business to 16 grand a year job processing timber windows. Just to keep him going. Just because he wanted something to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then he retired at, at 65, but then went back one day a week or half a day a week as a BSI priority because he'd got the yeah. the experience. So... He made sure when BSI came in, he looked after that meeting, but there were no non-conformities or anything like that. Um, and then when I was at 
conservatory outlet, I spoke to, to Mick Giscombe there and introduced my dad to Mick. And the next thing, my dad's doing half a day at conservatory outlet as well. And he retired, I think he retired at 71 altogether. You know, so he was in the industry for a long time. You go like you say though it's twenty four hours a day. So when you've got your own business, you're yeah. used to keeping busy. You're used to always thinking about it. So yeah, you, know, I, you do. You can't switch off. No, you know it's you get a phone call for a, a quote at seven o'clock at night for the roof, and that's because the, the the guy out there has just got in from his call at, at, at half past five six o'clock, yeah. and he wants to get his price back to his customer to be on the ball. So you have to help them out. And, and everything sort of bespoke and an individual price. So you, you have to do what you can. I mean, I think I, I had five people working for me. Oh, wow. So, that, you know, yeah, that's... I've got five families that I were responsible for. And and, and we did really well. You know, it, it turned over um, one and a half million in the first 18 months. Oh, yeah, that's good. So it was a good turnover, but everybody thinks you, you've got loads of money. You think you've got one and a half million in the bank? At yeah, all the time, I, so, I, yeah. You know, I'll pay myself 25 grand a year. That's the, yeah. Because it was more about getting the business growing, and and it, it did well, yeah. You know, and I'm glad I had the experience of that. It's interesting that you say that. I'm kind of glad you did because a lot of people start businesses thinking they will earn the most out of everyone, yeah. and it's just not. You know, you've got to be willing to pay. In my opinion, you know, your staff more than you at times because yeah. it's, it's a bigger. It, you know, for you, it's bigger than just a job. Yeah. But for them, it is their job, and they need that financial incentive. Uh, we're getting a thousand pound more than the guy that was sort of running the factory just below me. You know, he was responsible for the factory, when I was responsible for the office, the factory, the transport, cleaning the toilets. And, and, you know, everything like that. Yeah. Sounds like you did it right, though. Like you say, clean the toilets. You didn't get someone yeah, in had, to do that. Well, there were know. five of us, so we had a rotor, and we picked it out of a hat every week who was doing which day. So, obviously, Monday was the best day, day to do because it had been the weekend, and somebody yeah. else had done it Friday. I like that. So, I, I, you know, you pitch in. I saw that on a show recently, but they changed the names to all the same person. <laughs> that would have been... Yeah. Uh, they probably changed it to me, knowing them. What. <laughs> so, on the sort of... Because you've been to so many companies as well, it's really hard to sort of narrow down. Because you did everything, really. This, yeah. I know you spent a bit of time on roofs as well, but would you say they're your favourite product out of everything? Composite doors. Composite doors. Composite could, doors. Is that distinctions, yeah. love, and yeah, and, yeah, absolutely, composite doors without a doubt. Interesting. Um, like I say, I, I work with two great people, and they taught me a lot. So, I, you know, I, I owe a lot to them as well for the opportunities that get, they gave me. But I know, you know, I ended up, we came back from the uh, from the pandemic and the composite doors were getting delivered. But obviously when we came back to consort, we were, you know, limited staff. So I was inspecting the doors. I was glazing composite doors as a sales and marketing director, but involved because I knew what I was doing. And yeah. when Distinction came to visit and do with a bit, I'd pitch in and help out because I knew the composite doors. I, uh, you know, I had a good five, five and a half years working with them and it was solely doors, you know, constant, you know, you look at everything else and it's a widespread, you know, conservative roofs, you've got different, different styles of roofs. I know you've got different styles of doors, but you've got different rafters, you know, different glazing materials, different ways of doing things, different designs. But a composite door is a composite door. It's a slab, a couple of cassettes, and a piece of glass. Um, that's pretty quite blunt, but you know it's a fantastic product if it's made right. 
And that was the thing that, you know, they wanted things to be done right. And I suppose you looked at them both from a production point of view in the sense that it, you can probably create doors efficient, more efficiently than you can a roof system. Because like oh, yeah. they are all different. You're building them up. And I never yeah. realised until I visited some factories that you are building them to scale. Yeah. You know, full on. You yeah. know, it's not just, oh, that, that should fit. You're actually putting them together. Yeah. And that you don't really realise that. When people send up for a price, they always complain about pricing, but you, you don't realise the amount of work that goes into it. No, and I think because of the experiences I've had at the, through the various companies, you know, and the various roles, I've also been an installer. So from a fabrication point of view, for me, the fitter has to be happy with the product that, that their company's buying for them to install. Yeah. If that product's not right and the fitter's unhappy, you know, it, it, you're not going to win. But the most important person through all that experience is the homeowner because they're paying, they're paying for the product. Absolutely. They're paying everybody's salary through the through the process. So you know, if if you treat it as oh, how would I expect that to be finished in my home? Then again, you're on to a winner. You should all, you know, you've got to look after the end customer, make sure they've got no reason for any complaint. Hundred percent. Yeah. They like you say, it's something that. I've said this before, the installer, they need the industry support. They're the ones dealing, they're on the front line, they're dealing with the customer, they have to keep them happy, otherwise everyone's out of a job. Yeah. It just won't work. Exactly. And it's, and you're at the point where you're now trying to get, get the... I, I'm trying to get, you know, obviously I work for Building Our Skills, which is part of GQA, which is setting the standards, you know, and making sure that we, sh- we should all all follow the same route, you know, we should all fo- work to a same standard. It shouldn't differ, it should be right. Uh, but what I'm trying to do from the building our skills pers- perspective is, is make sure that there's education throughout the industry when when they join, whoever whatever age it may be, you know it, the the easier audience target is schools and, and colleges. But we also work with uh, Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Defence, you know, so we look at all different angles. The Department of Working and Pensions, uh, different careers fairs. We you know we're working alongside uh, GGF, who are supporting what we're doing. You know, I've had some great conversations with with John Manel, and we're joining them next year at a careers fair in Birmingham. Right. And, and from that, we need to then concentrate on the wider area of Birmingham and work with schools and on a, on a on a closer basis. You know, more one to one. So, how did this opportunity come up then? What made you want to give back, as you said? When I left consort. I got offered three jobs. I decided I left consort in March and we were going on holiday in April and in August. So I thought I'll look for work in August, September. And within eight days, I've been offered three jobs. Uh, and then Mick, uh, Mick Clayton, the CEO of, of GQA, asked me, would I be interested in working for building our skills? Would I come in and have a conversation? And, and it, I think, you know, it's the best conversation I've had in the industry. The opportunity to give something back is, is great. It's been an absolutely fantastic industry to be in. And yeah, I'm 45. I've still got at least 20 years left in the industry. But if I can work 20 years trying to put something back in, then brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's more, more than happy, you know, to, to, to do that and speak to anybody out there about it. You know, we all face the same issue of of staff and what were the other two jobs you don't have to say companies but yeah. uh, one was a sales director yeah I could and see one, that. one was a production director and um, one was 
One was a company in West Yorkshire and one was a company not too far from home in Barnsley. Right. But I travel national anyway yeah. for my last job. You know, I live in Barnsley. This office is in Sheffield, you know. So it doesn't make a difference to the travel. You know, I do a lot online, a lot on social media, which helps. Oh, yeah. I, you know, the, the pressures of being a director when the industry is going through such a hard time of price rises and surcharges, it was a no-brainer not to be a director. It's a good opportunity, like I say, to keep giving something back. And and I really enjoy the role that I've and the opportunity of doing this job. It's great. No, it's definitely it's needed. Everyone knows it's needed. And it's so you say you're getting into schools and the kids are they're enjoying it, but like you say, the barrier is now the parents saying Yeah. So I we, didn't even consider that to be honest. We put up I went in and did a careers fair and then I got the opportunity to go and then speak in a school. So I thought, right, I need to do something different. So what we've set up now, like I say, it's a five-point plan, so I'll go in and give them an introduction to uh, fenestration and a bit about my story, and it has to be a bit because it's a long story. Happy to answer any questions they ask, followed by a visit to here. Um, but the the second visit, depending on where it is in the country, could be to a different, you know, a factory visit somewhere, something like that. So I'll go back in again and give them a little bit more about the career opportunities. And we've built a career path that we, we put in online. So they can say, I want to be an office manager earning £50,000 a year. Now, well, to get there, you've got to take this path. Oh, and nice, this is a yeah. route you have to take to get yeah. there. Whatever it may be, you know, do you want to work inside, outside, you know, what, you know, anything like that. Like I said, there's over 50 roles, more. And then uh, following that, we then, I'll go in then. A second visit, sorry, fourth visit. The fourth visit will be, um, so who's still interested? A bit of a quiz and see what, see if they've listened and see if anything they've learned. Uh, probably just ask 10 questions and you know, a bit, bit of a further conversation. But the last question will be, who wants to work in this industry? And that person then, that student, if it's one, if it's 10, I'll find out what specific role they may be interested in and I'll find somebody within a company within that area that are willing to take them. And, and let them have a look at that specific role within fenestration. And on the back of that, I need to then sort of get a conversation where I'm speaking with schools, but I need to speak to the parents because we should have the initiative then where we can get them in one day a fortnight, one day a month, away from school to work in that role for the last three or four months of, of the school term. So when they leave school, they're happy to go into that role. The company are happy to take them because they, they know that they're right for the job and then we'll set them up with an apprenticeship. So from nurture them from school into an apprenticeship as they leave. No, that's nice. That's good. Um, but that model can roll out to any age, any group, anything, you know. Yeah, so you get to sort of graduate level as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm working with Leeds College and a company in Leeds, and they're doing a similar thing. Uh, but they're taking 12 students one day a week from college. So sometimes they're going into the factory, sometimes we're going into the college and speaking there. And at the end of it, four of them will be guaranteed a job and an apprenticeship. So the other eight, if all eight, if all 12 complete it, I've then got to find companies that are willing to take them on as well. Because it's pointless spending the time getting them excited in the industry. Yeah, if you can't place And nowhere for them to be placed. So are you finding companies are sort of open to apprenticeships still or are you having to sweeten the deal? Because I know no. the government's tried to help. Uh, 
the, the companies you speak to understand that the, the route is students, school leavers, cost of the experience. Hmm. You know, the, there's, the people that have experience in the industry are in jobs. Yeah. So you get somebody else that, that's older, you know, mid-20s maybe, whatever, they're wanting £20,000 to do a job that they don't know, that they don't understand. And then they'll leave further down the line because Amazon's offering 50 pence an hour more or something like that. So, you know, if you get, they're willing to take the students in and put the time and effort in to gain loyalty. Yes. You know, invest, invest in their training. And what that should also do is reflect on the existing staff who also want to embrace some training. And again, it, it keeps that relationship with your existing, existing staff. And you're always looking. So anyone listening to this podcast, you've got space for an apprentice. That you Any, know. Anywhere. Anywhere. You know, my, my um, I'm out there looking for supporters and to be a supporter of building our skills, all I need is your permission and your logo. That's, that then goes on our website. That gets your links back from our website to yours. But with that, what I want is somebody that, you know, if you're going to be a supporter, don't just do it for the publicity of, of the social media posts and the, you know, go to help us on the inspiration days, allow us to bring students in. We will then find the right people that will look after your business going forward. Yeah, nice. And are you finding, is there a specific job that when you start talking to the sort of the kids, are they coming up with, I really want to do this? The, the, the second school visit, I went in, one of the school visits, I went in for a lunchtime talk. And when I got to the school, it was a lunchtime detention, which I didn't know. <laughs> but there were 12 students in there and everyone listened. And one one lad realised, oh, my uncle's a window fitter. I said, oh, where, where is he? You know, where, you know where, where, where's he fit? Obviously. And he said, oh, he's in Spain at the minute, in his, in his villa in Spain. I said, what, has he got that from fitting windows? So that sparked that there. Yeah. And then somebody says, well, can you fix that leaking window? I said, no, but I'll get you an apprenticeship and I'll teach you how to fix it. Um, and then there was a girl, she said, well, I, I like Instagram and, marketing. you know, so the marketing, social media marketing, perfect. And uh, Well, I want to be an engineer. What what in? I don't know. Mechanical, electrical, what, you know. And I explained about the machines and how they worked and he yeah. said, oh, that'd be brilliant. So one of the things we're doing we, we set up an advisory panel and, we, we, you know, it, it, it's fully inclusive. Anybody that wants to join it and help us move it forward. Because one of the things we're looking for is what role do you do? Well, what roles are available and what salary bracket is it? Yeah. What's involved? So the more information we can give to the students, to give to the parents, to show them that there is a career for everybody. You know, anything you want to do, we can find you a job. There's finance, transport, you know, it's, it's endless. Where do you, putting you on the spot a bit now, but where do you think this stigma of our industry has come from? Is it white gold? Is it the white gold days? It yeah. is. And that's what, that's what puts the parents off to this day. And, and some of, yeah, and, and without naming names, some of the national installers not doing a great job and, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the, even though they are responsible, it's not necessarily all their fault when you've got a subcontracted fitter that yeah. paid and gone, it's not their responsibility. So, you know, it's not necessarily the company. It, it's it's the ethics behind. I've fitted it. I've done my bit. I've been paid. Go back and finish. You've got to fit it right to start with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's a difficult one to put without. Yeah. Exactly without, yeah. 
But yeah, I think it goes back to the white gold era. And, and I guess, I mean, from, from Barnsley, where I am, there was almost once a month a window company, you know, Phoenix from the Flames. Yeah. That doesn't happen now. Because, no. you know, it's not allowed to happen, which is great. But I think that's the stigma that the parents have, you know, that, that I grew up in that. But I grew up in the industry. Yes. You know, my son knows about the industry because of me and his granddad. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not from the industry, you don't know about it. You don't know the opportunities that are there. You know, you don't realise how big it is, how no. how deep and wide it goes. You know, it's you know, scientists. Somebody says, well, I'm going to university because I want to learn about science. So I said, you want to go to an extrusion company and see how many chemicals they're they putting do. together they're and things like that. Testing labs and everything, oh, yeah. You know, so everything's there. I mean, that's... That would have to be, you know, Burnley or Derby or wherever you've, you know, you've got your, your Vico and your Linear and things like that. But there's opportunity for any anybody that wants a job, whatever whatever job it is, apart from being a nurse or a policeman or a fireman, there's there's something in the industry. And I suppose you, we're, when you're going to the schools, you're up against the traditional trades, which would be, you know, electrician, plumbers, yeah, boilers. They all seem to do it better than the fenestration industry. Why do you think that is? I think they're just in front of what we're doing, the initiative that we're putting out there. I think my biggest challenge is last time I got York University University to my left and Sheffield to my right. So, you know, the university lifestyle, well, I'm saying it, earn and learn. Yeah. Get experience, get similar or same qualification without building up a debt. Yes. And then I've got the university, you know, looking at me saying, right, you know. hang on. But then you've got people out there, university isn't for everybody. School wasn't for me. But university, you know, if that's what the child wants to do, then great, good luck, you know. And I, I wish them good luck for the future when, you know, when I talk to them. But I think the thing in, in schools is talking on their their levels. What I do find is there isn't a lot of builders or plumbers at these places. It's either universities, the two biggest challenges of, of, was Audi. Oh, they nice. turned up with a GTA, an RSQ8 and an e-tron GTS. Get to drive that home every night if you um, sell, yeah. And then one was Lamborghini and they got an, um, oh, whatever, and then the Urus, you know, the four-wheel drive thing. Yeah. You know, windows and doors can't compete with that, but... No, I'm just picturing a white UPVC window that yeah. just lend up against the... Yeah. <laughs> That's it, a window in a corner sample. I think you're just going to have to turn it with a pile of cash. I see anything that will beat it. <laughs> they get tape measures and pens. Yeah, well, that, so sort of while on the subject of money, do you think if we were to pay more it would be more of an incentive or would they start joining them for the wrong reasons? I think they join for the wrong reasons. I think they've got to join because they want a career out of it. You know, no matter what job you take, whatever industry, it's hard work. If you want to earn good money, it's out there, whatever whatever job you get. But none of it's easy. So, you know, you've got, how easy is it to do this? Well, it's not. Well, I want to earn, I want to be a manager earning. Well, how are you going to do that? I'll apply for a manager job. What experience have you got? So when you sit back and explain to them and the career path that we've got, when we start to say, right, that's where you've got, but to be a manager, you need to be a supervisor. But to be a supervisor, you need to understand this and you need this. But the one thing that we do tell them when I'm, when I'm speaking, the skills that we teach them are transferable. Hmm. They have to be because yeah. if, if they decide they want to work in an office and then they don't enjoy it, but the opportunities to go in the factory or to go into transport, whatever they've learned, they take with them. Yeah, And I think that, that's a big thing. Yeah, I think uh, most people that I talk to, you know, we all go through these jobs, but I've always found that you pull something from each one. Yeah. It doesn't matter what weird 
Yeah. Especially with, with your own business as well. You start brilliantly and, uh, you know, you've got to be that person that does that. And if you're the one that can connect that cable up and do that and you don't have to call someone, it yeah. saves you some money and you know how to do it next time. Yeah. But it's, so I always say there's never a wasted job. You could, you could do it for six months, you could do it for a year and you've learned something. Yeah. Or you've got connections or there's a network there that you can then use um, if you don't burn bridges. Yeah. Which some people definitely do. But, um... So that's quite a journey. So it's a big journey. Yeah, we're, we're sort of up to the stage now where the three questions have come in. So out of that whole journey, is there a low point that sticks out for you? I think the low point at, at the at the time was sort of handing over my business and selling it to go back and work for somebody else. Yes, I am fascinated by that, but. After a few months of being there and working and, and doing that, it wasn't a lot. It was the right thing to do. It, it gave stability that you don't get from a that you don't get from you for having your own business through difficult times. And it came at the right time. They bought my order book. They bought my machines. So it worked all right in the long run. But at, the, at that point, it was. A difficult time having my own business, and I thought it was, you know, thought, you know, be all and end, you know, I've achieved the ultimate, I've got my own business, and then it had to go. But it did me right, and it set me up well for the future going forward. I look at that, though, as well, with the experience of you running your own business. Everyone you're, you know, whether it's an installer, whichever company you deal with now, you know what they're going through. Yeah. It doesn't matter their size. They still, you know, at the end of the day, they still got to pay the wages. It's still yeah. got to come out. And you know that some of them will be struggling. And then you're coming in saying, why are you taking on an apprentice? And they're trying yeah. to work it out. But the numbers need to tally for them and it yeah. has to just work. And they've got to be able to put the time into it. Yeah. But I think it's, it's definitely something that, did you, when you started the business, was that an easy decision? Because you, I'm guessing you had to buy machines, or did you? Uh, I, I dropped on. Again, quite lucky. Because we'd been working with uh, Window Machinery Developments in Pontefract. Right. So initially they came on as a silent partner when I first started. They got an empty building. So I moved into there, and they were. it was at the point when conservatory, when aluminium conservatory roofs were just sort of kicking off and coming away from ultra frame and from Sinseal and, and smaller fabricators like myself. So they were developing machines that work specifically with conservatory roofs with aluminium. Right. So I, I got guinea pig machines and things like that. So, you know, there was investment there, but there was also support from one of the, you know, from, from what I believed, one of the best local um, window machinery factories there was, you know, so it worked out quite well. Oh, you couldn't have said no to that. It was literally there. It, it was there. It, it was, there. yeah. The, it was two things. That that was one of the drivers, and Uracell and Sinsil didn't want to run out of the same factory. So it was like, here we go. And on the back of that, I'd got an existing customer base that had bought previously for myself and my dad, but had gone elsewhere because we were £100, £200, too expensive on a roof. So I went four or £500 cheaper than what the Uracell roof was in some cases. And that's why it was so successful so quick. Right. And the advantage for me, I'd not, I'd been through the pitfalls of setting up a factory with my dad. And you could see the downfalls and what, what to avoid. So, you know. Yeah, it's a blank slate and. Yeah. Yeah. Build it how you wanted. Yeah. And the support of my dad as well. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. yeah. 
But you wouldn't get that. If that had been a competitor, no. you'd have been out. If you're yeah. working for a company at the time, because you know, I've talked to people that have done that, they've left yeah. the company, they've lost all their contacts, they've lost you know, their supplier yeah. most of the time, because yeah. they, you know, they were the, and yeah. they've had to start fresh and, and find even glass companies to deal with that will, may not deal with them because they left on bad terms. Yeah. So having your dad there was... So if you had to do it all from scratch, and if they said, yeah, you have to buy these machines, it's going to be a few thousand... You it wouldn't happen now. You'd have stayed put. I would have stayed where I was, and I'd have kept working for my dad. I think. Did you go back to that? I know I'm sort of going off on a tangent, yeah. but is there a job when you were sort of growing up that you thought you'd do, or did you always think I work for dad? No, I, I never wanted to. Oh right, I never. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and this is one of the things that relates to what I'm doing now. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I just sort of fell into it because it was there. So you never thought, I'll do this because it sort of fell in, but, you know, no, I suppose I was the same, to be honest. I never really... I didn't know what I wanted. I just know I didn't want to work in windows and doors. I think it was the right choice. I can't imagine you in anything else now. No, I can't. can't. I had three weeks of selling cars in between jobs. Oh, did you? Yeah. How was that? Good. Perks? Yeah, good cars. Good, you know... What cars were they? It was uh, used cars, so it wasn't. They got. Uh, oh, right. It could have been a, anything, yeah. Yeah, anything. Uh, and you took it in turns, and what car came in next was yours to take home. Um, so, some some nice cars. I had a, uh, I had a Subaru Impreza, which was all right, because I'd, I'd had one myself already. And I had a nice 7 Series BMW for three days. Nice. Which were all right. Those tend to sell quickly, though, don't they? Yeah, you well, get into I, joy, I was told, I mean, I went there, it was £125 a week basic wage, and your rest is finance commission and commission on your car. So I sold a car, on the first car I sold it, in, they said, you're not selling anything for a week, at least two weeks. I sold a car in two days. I think that's more you, though, isn't it? It's yeah. the person you are. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're relaxed, yeah. people like you, that's but it, really. It, you know, it was in between jobs and it wasn't right. You know, the hours I'd got my son at home and I'd got every other Sunday off and every Wednesday, mm. you know, but it was, I needed to do something. I needed to earn some money. So I'd, you know, I had to go at that and then another job came up and back into Windows. Oh, there you go. But you did try something else. There is that. I did try for three, yeah. Yeah, three for weeks. three weeks. Yeah. But it's, I mean... It's always fascinating me because you do see some cars um, salespeople moving to yeah. double glazing sales, and the interesting thing—it depends, I suppose, whether it's B two B or whether it was B two C. Because the hours, I, I would say, when I was selling windows, it, you get Saturdays are in there. Mm. It's not quite as bad as car sales because you, you're not yeah. doing the Sundays. But th- that is one of the reasons why they, they want to move over because yeah. it sort of gets up. But then I've looked at, you know, you go to the Audi garages and you think these things sell themselves. Yeah. You've just got to help them pick the, be nice yeah. and help pick the options and, yeah. and, and and be, which I've had experience of going into some of them and some of them don't get it right. No. And you sort of think you've got this amazing showroom oh, yeah. and it's, it's just baffling how they, and uh, well, it's not so much the car industry at the minute, but I, I've heard some of them have lost their way. That it's yeah. not, it's not like it used to be. You never have your go-to person that you buy your cars from because they're they're churning them over. So yeah. they've got to be going somewhere. So maybe we're picking them up. Maybe I'm we're picking them up. We're picking some up. Yeah, because there's a lot of good people out there. Oh yeah, there they're is. just in the wrong jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
on the flip side of that then, sorry, I went off a bit there. All right. Is there a high point that sticks out for you? The high point, uh, there's a couple throughout, as you know, as I've yeah. progressed at companies, you know, going, one of the high points, waking up to an email from Distinction to say, we'd like to offer you the job. Uh, that that was that was a good feeling, and then working hard, and then progression there, and I had to go through a series of interviews to become, you know, sort of second in charge of the technical team. That was a high point because them interviews were, were interesting, and the the technical director there, absolutely amazing guy. If he doesn't know anything, you know, it's not worth knowing. He, he knows absolutely everything. And I felt a little intimidated by him wow. because yeah. of his knowledge. Yeah, Not yeah, because yeah. he was I mean, an absolutely yeah. fantastic guy, but it was his knowledge. And, and getting the phone call to say, yeah, you got that, that was a high point. And then I think succeeding at, at Consort as well in, in the sales coming out of the pandemic and things were hard. And, yeah, some of it was handed on a plate because of the, the unfortunate downfall of, of Sash and, and what happened with Custom Made Group and things like that. You know, that that's unfortunate for them as a company and the people that work for them. But capitalising on them companies that were, you know, then looking for suppliers. Mm. And sitting there on the 4th of May thinking, right, we, we've gone from doing 1,500 frames a week, we're lucky if we're going to get 600 frames. And next thing, we're exceeding 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 frames coming in. And that was that was hard work for myself. I'm from the sales team at, at you know, out there in the field battling, out there in the field working from home uh, at that point, but having the conversations. So, you know, to, to do a sales pitch from behind your desk and not a physical visit with a sample in front of you is a good achievement. Mm, definitely. You know, so I think yeah, a choice between them. Yeah, fantastic. Last question. If you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from the fenestration world, who would it be? Oof. Alan Welsh from my time at Distinction. Absolutely fantastic guy. And like I said, I learnt a lot of him. He was my manager there. Uh, a lot of time and a lot of respect for that guy. Sounds like two weeks he'd be picking his brain. Uh, yeah. Very, very intelligent and very helpful. Um, like I say, ultimate respect to him for, for the opportunities, opportunities he gave and, and the help that he gave me as well. Fantastic. Mark, thank you very much for your time today. No, thank you. Appreciate thank you. it. Thank you for coming on and uh, open invitation. So when you're on to the next phase, welcome back and we'll uh, catch up to you. Get, how are you getting on? Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, Richard. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Mark. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.